Time once again for second helping the podcast choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the On3 Network, back with you alongside my great friend and longtime college football analyst, most recently of First Coast News, down in Jacksonville, Florida, also a longtime voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in college football, the Heisman Trophy, my co-host. Brent Beard. Brent, it is a Friday, August the 25th, 2023. That means it is game day eve in college football. We got an SEC team cranking things up on Saturday night. Well, that's always welcome, isn't it? Uh, It seems like it's been forever since we've gotten here, but expansion and some other things have kept us busy until now. (laughs) But listen, it is wonderful uh, to begin, and, and Trav, I will, uh, uh, I will also say for our listeners, the the thing that we need to keep in mind here uh, that this may be the last time that we have week zero uh, because with the playoff expansion next year, there is talk that week zero may actually become week one, and everybody starts the season in august trav just to get everything in yeah Yeah. gonna have to make some room gonna have to move some furniture around you know with all of these changes that we're seeing in college football but what we do know is that the vanderbilt commodores again will get things cranked up on saturday evening at what is at least left of vanderbilt stadium at this point (laughs) brent i'm actually in the nashville area catching up with the uh, Hawaii Rainbow Warrior side of things. Our daughter Savannah is the director of recruiting at Hawaii, so we're glad to have her on the mainland. Glad to be able to catch up. I've spent a lot of time around this Hawaii team this week, and uh, Savannah made the trip to to Vanderbilt on Thursday to kind of get an early look at the facility and the logistics of the Hawaii team, and you know how the things are going to set up from a locker room perspective and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's pretty 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 limited, we'll say at this point. But uh, this is a Vanderbilt team from the SEC side of things. A lot of optimism. Uh, Clark Lee has that thing obviously headed in the right direction. The Commodores go into Saturday night's game against Hawaii as I believe at last check an 18 and a half point favorite. So the expectation is for maybe not to the extent that the Commodores drop the hammer on Hawaii on Oahu last season, but um, a commanding win, I think most are expecting from Vanderbilt in this one. Yeah, and the Vanderbilt beat writers would tell you that they are uh, positive that Vanderbilt will win the game, but they do have some problems with pass defense and rushing offense, some things that they need to uh, uh, fix. Uh, particularly in that secondary, they're concerned about uh, the um, uh, the safety position uh, and where that's going to go. Uh, and also, now they've got some guys, B.J. Anderson, Martel Height, and Tyson Russell, that, that like it cornerback. Uh, and the thing they really do like is they think that defensively, uh, that front seven may be better than it has been in a while. They think they've got 
double-digit players who were capable of really playing in the SEC. But one thing you said I, I think is important is Clark Lee is slowly building some confidence in this team. Uh, I mean, Trav, five and seven at Vanderbilt is almost like eight and four at some other places. So uh, a, a good start trying to build on it starting t- tomorrow night. Yeah, the major renovation going on at the stadium, much needed. Uh, it is uh, problematic uh, for this season, and I think even into next season, this project is going to take up that much time. But I think the end result is exciting. It has to be for Clark Lee and the rest of the Vanderbilt community because uh, you're going to be able to sell that to recruits. Um, yeah. You can sell the vision a lot easier when even in the situation they're in right now where it's a lot of rubble, a lot of dust, um, prospects can see, though, that that's progress. They're moving yeah. forward as a program, and uh, that was needed for Vanderbilt, no doubt about it. You know, when you look at this Hawaii team, too, when you talk about Vanderbilt's issues on past defense, uh, Timmy Chang, the former Hawaii quarterback, uh, in his second season now as the head coach, of the Rainbow Warriors, uh, going back to the old run and shoot, going back to the June Jones <laughs> days there at Hawaii. So uh, we'll see how that matches up. Hawaii still under Chang, very much in rebuild mode and uh, a program that has facility issues of its own. Um, Aloha Stadium, longtime stadium that you saw the uh, bowl games in, you saw the Pro Bowl in for many, many years has been condemned. So Hawaii is transitioning to an on-campus facility that they've kind of pieced together over the last couple of years. So a lot of challenges still for this Hawaii program. And you know what Hawaii doesn't want to hear? Hawaii doesn't want to hear about all this extensive travel that now will be in play in yeah. the Big Ten. Because Hawaii flew to Nashville Tuesday night overnight, took a red eye from Honolulu to Nashville, got into Nashville 5 a.m. Wednesday, is here all week. And the coaching staff is trying to keep the team on Hawaii time. So you'll sit here in the lobby of this hotel and you'll see at about two central, some Hawaii players come down and go get breakfast at two o'clock in the afternoon because back in Oahu, it's 9 a.m. Yeah. So they're trying to keep the time change to a minimum for this Hawaii team, but uh, still a roster that uh, Timmy Chang, again, trying to continue to build upon and um you know it's going to be interesting for for Vanderbilt too uh in terms of the running back position yeah. because as we know a big change there with a transfer out to a fellow SEC East team and and how that works for Clark Lee's team yeah and they've got a freshman I'll be curious what you think of him Cedric Alexander is a kid that they really like he's from Austin Texas uh, so they are uh, hoping that he and A.J. Swan uh, can have a big game uh, going on, too. So, But, yeah, them, Trev, them losing Ray Davis in yeah. uh, Kentucky was a big loss for Vanderbilt, wasn't it? It was. Uh, but, again, I think in terms of just overall roster at this point under Clark Lee, that year that he has on Timmy Chang – is going to show up yes. in all likelihood. And it's a limited travel roster, too, that Hawaii brought to Nashville. They, they didn't travel 90 to 100 guys for a game like this. You know, they, they traveled maybe 60 or so. Um, so it's almost NFL-like, the the roster numbers 
that Hawaii is looking to bring uh, to this game tomorrow night. So I think we both like Vanderbilt pretty decisively, I would say, in this game. Uh, and then looking ahead to to week one, uh, a week from Saturday, really a week from Thursday, a week from last night, because as we know, the Florida Gators going to open things up at Utah. Uh, some rough news since we last spoke, though, for the Gators and Georgia. We got some running back injuries to cover now because Cam Carroll, the two-lane transfer, lost for the season due to a knee injury sustained during UF second scrimmage of fall camp. Brent, you still have Montreal Johnson. You still have Trevor Etienne. You still have true freshman Trayon Webb, who was a highly regarded recruit for the 2023 cycle. But for the simple fact that Florida actually features the running back position, this is an offense, much like those at Georgia and Alabama, for that matter, that can never have enough healthy quality backs, can they? No, they really can't. Uh, And uh, again, you've got the unknown uh, with Graham Mertz, although we think that he would be able to make the routine play, which is one thing they didn't have last year. Uh, that's going to be real, really important. And the, the wide receiver room for Florida, uh, I, it, you know, as I've been told, it's a, it, Trev, it's a lot of number twos. There's no, Riddell, there's no Riddell Anthony or Ike Hilliard no, in there. Yeah. No, no, no Quezzy green in there. <laughs> and, and listen, the other difficult injury for Florida was losing justice Boone, that edge rusher. Uh, now they've got a little depth there that that will help. Uh, but two difficult injuries for Florida certainly is for at least for depth concern with Cam Carroll uh, being lost and then uh, Justice Boone too. And again, speaking of uh, Graham Mertz and quarterbacks, it's it's I'll tell you, man, the growing optimism for Graham Mertz. I don't know what it's really coming from. I, I know that Billy Napier really loves the intangibles of Graham Mertz. I think there's also this residual effect from the Joe Burrow tenure going from Ohio State to LSU that I think in similar situations, it certainly didn't play out this way for Jack Miller at Florida. As we know, he's apparently been dealing with what shoulder fatigue here of late. Um, But there's this, well, it happened with Burrow. Maybe it can happen with Graham Mertz going from big 10 type country down to the SEC, and and perhaps there'll be some of that burrow magic for Mertz. But, um, you know, you, you think of the quarterback position for Utah, though, and we've talked about this on previous pods, Brent. Uh, murky at best, I would say, the availability of Utah starting quarterback Cam Rising for next Thursday night in Salt Lake City. And, you know, if he can't go, you talked about this last week, their backup, their number two guy has had an injury issue. Uh, the Utes could be down to their third and or fourth guy uh, for the Gators, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, they made their um, uh, Brandon Rose, their number two guy, live in practice. So, unfortunately, that they're regretting that, but they're looking at Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson uh, also. And, and, again, they're pretty coy uh, about Kim Rising, and the truth of the matter is they may not know where that's going, but he had a difficult injury uh, in the uh, in the conference championship game, and is still trying to get over that at this point. And, and Trav, uh, for entertainment purposes only, 
Uh, and usually the man knows a lot about what's going on. So this thing is going from a nine point spread to like a four and a half point spread at this point. Probably a lot of that will be with the uncertainty. Uh, but, but look, I, I've, and I've told Gator fans this all week long is, okay, they may not have their quarterback, but this is going to be one of the more physical teams that you play the whole year. They've got an SEC-like mentality on the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, Trev, my question still remains, uh, Cam Rising or not, can Florida block Utah for that whole game? You know, Utah reminds me um, these days in this in this era under Will, Whittingham um, of Frank Beamer. Frank Beamer, Virginia Tech, yes. is is what I think of with Utah. Kind of, um, it's uh, it's a physical style, and I'll say this: Rice Eccles Stadium is not an easy place to play. Oh. Um, it, it, it kind of sits on a uh, kind of sits on a summit. The stadium does there, uh, right on the campus, and it it seems like the energy comes from the core of the earth. And goes right up through the stands. So if you're a Florida fan thinking, well, home field advantage didn't mean that much. It's Utah. No, let me tell you, kind of like Lane Stadium at Virginia Tech when I've been there. Uh, when it's when it's rocking at Virginia Tech, when things are going well at Virginia Tech like they are at Utah now, I think uh, the similarities are, are pretty striking there. And so, uh, again, we look forward to Florida and Utah next week, especially from a quarterback perspective, really for both teams. Uh, with that, uh, Florida and Mertz, and then exactly who Utah will run out there will be something to keep an eye on as well. The George Bulldogs, speaking of injury news at the running back position, not good for Kirby Smart's team as Branson Robinson, the physically impressive running back in that stable. He, too, it looks like Brent going to miss the season after a knee injury. Yeah, uh, patella tendon injury, really unfortunate there for Robinson in the compound things, Dejon Edwards has got an MCL sprain. And, and Travis, Kendall Milton is not healthy yet uh, with that hamstring issue. So people who were wondering early on a few months ago, uh, and I'm not saying this is going to derail Georgia because they've got running back depth, there's no doubt. But look, when you're when you're dealing with three of your guys, one who's out and, and the other two, you don't know either how effective they're going to be or when they're coming back. Uh, in this league, these things kind of pile up, too. They do. And we talked about it in relation to Florida and Alabama's this way as well. These are still places that feature the running back position. So you can start a season, and I know fans, a lot of how are we going to get all these guys how are we going to feed all these mouths? Well, the next thing you know, as you outlined, Robinson's out for the season. Milton is injury prone at this point. It seems like every year he's had an injury situation. Edwards, you talked about with the MCL. Suddenly you're down to just two scholarship backs and some walk-ons. So oh, yeah. I guess what you could point to is the schedule working in Georgia's yes. favor. Uh, another area where this should benefit Georgia. No need to rush really either Milton or Edwards also have one of the better offensive lines in college football. So there might not be the anxiety for this offense, especially with a new quarterback breaking in as well. 
that there would be for some others. But you talked about this last week, too. Um, you know, with, with every bit of news like this, the, the South Carolina game early in the season uh, becomes at least a little bit yes. more intriguing, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt. Now, that's their toughest game in September. And then obviously they've got Auburn in Florida in October. And then November they've got Tennessee. Uh, and again, Carson Beck been newly named the starting quarterback. But at, but at some point, uh, look, uh, in this league, you never have enough depth, frankly. So uh, and if folks are looking at an area right now that could be a bit of a problem for Georgia, and that will be interesting to see how Mike Bobo compensates for this. But we will certainly keep an eye on this running back room at Georgia. You know what? Just put Brock Bowers in the I formation <laughs> and hand it to him. Really? <laughs> That's what I would do at this point. Just uh, put the tight end in the backfield, give the big man some some carries, yes. um, let him just go Herschel Walker circa – 1980 on defenses until you get some of these backs healthy. Um, we're going to stick with some quarterback talk. I know we talked about it in relation to Mertz and Cam Rising of Utah uh, earlier in the podcast, but looking around the SEC, Brent, looks like Alabama primarily is the program that from a quarterback perspective, you're still trying to maybe sort some things out. Nick Saban continues to be adamant about whoever we put out there first against Middle Tennessee a week from Saturday uh, that isn't uh, an indicator of what's going to be in play for the remainder of the season. Um, but there's a couple other places where, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to say that there's just an absolute deadlock for starting roles at Texas A&M and Missouri specifically. Uh, but silence in some instances, uh, not just what we hear from Nick Saban, but what we haven't heard from some other coaches maybe in relation to that position has been interesting too. Uh, well, the, the, really the two big ones right now, and we kind of thought this would be settled early on would be Brady Cook and Sam Horn at Missouri. Now uh, they've got South Dakota as they began, but Missouri does. So Eli Drinkwith is saying that they're kind of neck and neck. And so is uh, Jimbo uh, Moore, uh, Bobby Petrino uh, at Texas A&M uh, at, the, at this point with Connor Wiegman and Max Johnson, uh, both very capable quarterbacks. Now, now Trev, uh, forgive me, but there's a cynical side of me that wants to say, now, are these really races? And they very well may be, but is there also some coaching uh, thought here that, we're going to need for this to be close going into the season so that whoever doesn't win the job doesn't transfer. I, I, I still wonder if that may be a little bit of that going on too. Yeah. In some instances you wonder, yeah, roster management because you're trying to keep your quarterback room as whole as you possibly can. Uh, and maybe gamesmanship too. Yeah. Um, not so much even for some of the openers, as you said. Uh, but when you think about week two, you know, and Texas A&M goes to to Miami in a really, really big game for for Jimbo Fisher. You have to think we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But um, I think in either case, you're in pretty good shape, because if you're not going to run Connor Wiegman out there first, it's because you're going to run a veteran in Max Johnson, who is a very much seasoned 
almost pro of SEC yeah. wars. Uh, but I got the sense that Wigman had pretty much taken that thing over last season. So um, that would still surprise me. It would still surprise me if it's not Connor Wigman for A&M. Uh, and I kind of feel the same about Cook to start the season because yeah. I believe he's also been named one of the team captains. Um, but Sam Horn, I, I think, is, is a talented young player in his own right. So, uh, yeah, I think you're on it on a, on, in a couple different ways. Uh, you know, for Alabama, I think it's truly about just finding the right guy. Yes. I don't think Nick Saban's is worried about roster management because he's got five guys on scholarship. You know, if you only got two or three guys on scholarship at that position, then yeah, that's something that you obviously have to take into consideration. Um, and as far as the gamesmanship angle for Alabama, you know, the three primary guys that are still in that thing, it seems, although Dylan Lonergan, the freshman has done some good things as well as the number four um, is that, there's not much of a variance between the skill sets of Milrow, Ty Simpson, and Tyler Buckner, right? They're pretty similar. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. Jalen Milrow is absolutely explosive. But Simpson and Buckner also can do things with their legs. So uh, if, you're, if you're thinking that you're, you're maybe keeping, especially Texas in week two guessing, Eh, probably not that much. I, if I'm Texas and I know those three guys are still in the mix, it's probably not impacting all that much. You know, my advanced prep for Alabama in week two. Uh, and then uh, Dylan Lonergan has also been an interesting prospect mm -hmm. uh, through freshmen. So uh, I'm sure they'll be a little bit hesitant with what they do with him, but he has certainly been impressive. But I think Trav, for the three schools that we talked about, What's in their favor? Uh, Alabama, uh, tremendous running back room. Offensive line, I think, is going to be better. Um, and th they've got some wide receivers who basically just need some confidence and quit dropping the ball. And then you go to A&M with whoever that's going to be, that the interior, that offensive line is well thought of. That that receiver room trap may be the best in the nation, frankly. It's just ungodly how – how good they are, and uh, so uh, and they're confident about their running back room. So I I think with these the teams that we're talking about with quarterbacks, maybe not so much Missouri, but certainly Bama and A and M. Uh, if your quarterback can just be steady, and as you pointed out many times, that your head coach trusts you in decision making, and you don't turn the ball over. Uh, these teams should be fine uh, as they get some time to really kind of figure out where they want to go. Yeah, um, I agree. And so, you know, it's also for quarterback situation in Alabama right now, it's not just decision-making in the passing game because they're going to integrate the quarterback more into the run game with Tommy Reese in there as the offensive coordinator you got to make the right calls, checks, and decisions in the run game as well. So it's all-encompassing uh, in terms of making that evaluation. And you said it with Florida, too. Florida wide receiver room, a lot of number twos. You know, I think Ricky Pearsall is a really, really, really good number two. Yeah. I think I think Jermaine Burton is kind of Ricky Pearsall of yeah. Alabama. Good, good um, analogy. But I, I think Alabama has a, has a really nice room. I just don't know if they have a true number one in that room right now. Maybe it'll be Malik Benson, the junior college transfer, but I think that's another area. 
where the Crimson Tide is waiting on some things uh, to reveal themselves. Hey, we talk about coaches so much, especially this time of year and um, with some of the games that, that you have on the slate, starting again with next Thursday night in Salt Lake City, getting into week two with Texas, Alabama, Miami, and uh, Texas A&M, and um, just the games that, that we're going to have that weekend as well. Uh, let's talk hot seat for SEC coaches. As we sit here one week before week one, who's on the hottest seat right now in the Southeastern Conference, Brent? I, I think of some guys like Sam Pittman, Jimbo. I know Billy Napier is in line to to bring in an outstanding 2024 recruiting class. To me, Billy Napier is doing exactly what he was billed to do, build the program. And that starts with recruiting. I think he's on track to do that. Now, patience among a fan base and donors, we know, is an entirely different animal. Yes. We know that Eli Drinkwitz, at the end of last season, amazingly got an extension and a raise. Um but but I think there's still going to be some some pressure there on him. There's pressure for all these coaches, to be sure. But who would you go with in that regard? How to seat in the Southeastern Conference? Uh, well, I, I think you'd almost have to go with Pittman uh, now. And they've obviously got <clears throat> some a couple of uh, uh, easier games to begin with, Western Carolina and Kent State. But, Trav, they've got BYU, LSU, and A&M. Uh, now, uh, the way the schedule falls, and this is a bit unusual, but pretty much everybody is going to be playing five games in the, in the, uh, in the month of September, which is really unusual. Uh, but I, you could say that some of these guys, even, even before the calendar turns to October, if they have a rough September, that that could be really difficult. Now, now I, I, I know they love Pittman, but this is an important year. And I like Pittman, too. I think he's perfect for them in a lot of ways. But, Trav, what they don't need to do is to be, say, two and three going into October. Uh, and then at that point, that they're going to Oxford to play Ole Miss. Yeah, I think Pittman is – at the top of that list. I do think the Miami game for Jimbo Fisher is huge. Yeah, if no A&M goes down there and lays an egg um, and understanding the numbers that are involved, I get all that, but it's A&M. Okay. Yes. They can pass around the brass platoon to the fellas in the big buildings in downtown Dallas in Houston and probably scrape together the tens of millions that would be required to <laughs> yeah, get Jimbo out absolutely. of there. Um, Napier, again, I, I think he's on that list just because of expectations in this day and age. Um, and so those would be my primary guys. I think Drinkwitz you could throw on there as well. I, I still don't kind of get it with Pittman. I think that fan base has 2006 expectations yeah. back <laughs> when they had guys like Darren yeah. McFadden and Felix I, Jones and you know, those type of players and, and the West was pre-Saban. The SEC in general was pre-Saban in 2006. But it's like they're still applying those expectations in 2023 when the league is nothing, nothing right. like it was. And I understand in 2006, Florida won the national championship. And now we're talking about Florida's coach being on the hot seat. But just in the SEC West alone, it's entirely different. So for me, if Sam Pittman wins seven or eight, maybe nine games a season, 
he should be golden at Absolutely. Arkansas for the foreseeable future. But you don't get the sense from that fan base that that aligns with kind of what they're thinking. No, but at some point, you've got to be satisfied with kind of where you are, particularly if you're in the SEC West at this point. Now, Travis and you got Texas and Oklahoma coming in. So uh, no question. You think no you're going to win more games with a new coach? Yeah. A, a coach other than Sam Pittman with those teams coming in than what you're doing right now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and look, listen, I, I, now look, they're not going to fire Shane Beamer because he is golden right now. But I'll say this, Travis, in September, North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Tennessee, uh, I, I mean, look, uh, they – if if they if like Spencer Rattler gets hurt or that or they have some something unfortunate happen with that schedule, and, and again he's in no danger, but boy that, that could take Trevor. They have a rough September with that schedule. That, that some of the shine off that star it could come up pretty quickly. It could. I think Beamer though, as you said, he's with that win on the road at Clemson, especially yes. to end last season, yes. I think that gets him three or four years. No doubt. After that stretch, the the beatings, not just losses, but the beatings that South Carolina had taken from Dabo Sweeney and Clemson uh, to get that win and the Tennessee win. I, I think he's good for, I, I know, you, you got to be careful in this era to say, you know, to, to roll out two, three years, but. He's got to be good through 2024, regardless of what happens, you would think. And I think here's what Beamer has working in his favor, too. There's enough momentum on the recruiting trail for him. Yes. To go along with the wins. He's already gotten some signature wins, and now he's also got some recruiting momentum to support that. His second season was kind of like what Billy Napier needs his second season at Florida to be like. Right. If Billy Napier come November is able to knock off uh, Florida State, get a couple of SEC wins to close out the regular season, go to a bowl game. Um, you know, even if you don't win the bowl game, you, you got those wins and you've got the recruiting momentum that Florida does have right now. Uh, if Napier can just have that kind of year, too, I think that would go a long way with Florida fans. Brent, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, uh, to, uh, real quick, uh, you've also got Mark Stoops, who could be 5-0 and uh, at Kentucky going to Georgia, uh, and you can have Eli Drinkwith could be 5-0 and before playing LSU. So, uh, and, and Travis, my last thing here, and this is something we, that we're, we've mentioned before, but it bears repeating, is Cooper Mays is one of the better yeah. centers in the league. And there's some, and I'm not saying that this is something nefarious, but they're just not talking a whole lot. He's not practicing much. He had some kind of procedure. And uh, with Milton at quarterback, uh, don't you need a, a outstanding center uh, to help you out in recognizing the defenses? Uh, and, and as far as that, I think we both like that Tennessee running game and what they've got. So let, let's keep an eye on that one, uh, and uh, the sooner he can get back for them, the better. Yeah, you know, everyone talks about left tackle as the money position on the offensive line, but if you're not in a good spot at center, 
uh, that's rough because yes. that's absolutely literally where it all starts. So uh, that will be interesting to track. No doubt about it. Well, Brent, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I apologize for some background <laughs> sound. If we have it, I'm actually literally in the lobby of a hotel in Franklin, Tennessee, in advance of that Vanderbilt Hawaii game Saturday night over on the West end of Nashville. But it's here, man. We're both excited. It's a lot of fun. We've been doing this together for a long time. I never take it for granted, Brent, and thrilled that uh, we're looking at another run here of about two or three months of some fun, fun college football action. It's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Trav, be safe up there. Certainly want to know more about what you think of that stadium <laughs> situation in Vanderbilt. I'm wondering if we're getting hard hats as we go in, you know. But, uh, but I will say this, uh, in being up there for media days, uh, I think the league really wants, uh, and this is a sermon on another day, but they want Vandy to be uh, another hub for the conference in a lot of ways. And um, I don't know if they've got the infrastructure to be able to do it, or at least what will it be done within 10 years <laughs> at this point. But what's happening in Nashville is going to be important for the league at some point. Absolutely. Uh, Nashville, a great town for the Southeastern Conference. I mean, when you talk about the basketball, the men's basketball tournament, it, it should be uh, just permanently in, in Nashville, Tennessee. What a great site it is for that and look there's some other sports that you could see come into play in the future i know we all feel like the football championship game is forever uh entrenched in in atlanta and maybe that'll be the case but you also know in nashville they're building a brand new stadium that i believe is going to have a dome uh, effect to it so hey I wouldn't count Nashville out for baseball, basketball, football, you name it, because it is exploding. Unfortunately, to the extent that I really don't think the local and state people planned ahead well enough for the growth that this area is experiencing. But uh, it's happening, ready or not. But uh, absolutely um, electric this area these days in Middle Tennessee. Brent, look forward to talking about it some more next week full slate of action to run down as we get you ready for week one in the Southeastern Conference. Trav, look forward to it. Uh, Be safe and enjoy up there, and we will talk soon. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us here on Second Helping on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Our great friends there at Belly Up helping to make this possible. And also, wherever you consume podcasts, that's where you're going to find Second Helping. So, We would certainly appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and a review. That would help us out tremendously as well. For Brent, Travis, have a great football weekend, everybody. Until next time, so long.